we have to start uh, today's episode with a correction. This involves a, a question that we had long ago about NASCAR and how do drivers go to the bathroom during a race? Now, uh, one of you asked us this question. We went and we talked to a couple NASCAR drivers uh, who told us the answer, and we learned that uh, they, they both lied to us. Now, uh, some of you have come forward, uh, Goody and Ryan, we would like to thank you both for letting us know that we were lied to, and we want now uh, to set the record straight. On the line with us now is Dr. Jerry Punch. He's a NASCAR pit reporter on ESPN, and he's also been a doctor for NASCAR drivers. So, uh, Doc, tell us, uh, how do NASCAR drivers uh, go to the bathroom during a race? Well, quite honestly, uh, as a medical doctor and friend to many of these guys, and not only as a colleague, but as a physician, I can probably count on one hand the number of times that a driver has had to, to, to urinate during a race. Really? Because uh, back in the day when we weighed them pre, pre-race and post-race, We've seen drivers uh, lose 15, 16, 17 pounds. That's fluid Whoa. during an event. It's really hard to push the fluids in an athlete, much less someone that's in a, in a sauna. Uh, a car can be 120 to 135 degrees you know, for three hours. So you lose so much fluid by perspiration. The uniforms are soaked, and then, then they dry quickly. Uh, and there really is very little time for you to be worrying about filling a bladder. Now, with that said, there are people at times who, quite honestly, uh, the, the little amount of urine they, they will release can be, can be done inside the driver's suit. That's one of the reasons that drivers favor dark-colored driver's suits. <laughs> really? Uh, Absolutely. And, oh, by the way, you're going 200 miles an hour. Yeah. So exposing yourself inside the race car, and, and it may be 135 degrees, so you might be a little uncomfortable if you uh, unzip things and try to expose yourself in, in the cockpit of a car and that kind. So, you know, there's really no other options. Do they have air fresheners in those cars? No, they don't. The little, the little green trees yeah. that used to hang from the there. No, they don't do that anymore. First of all, they, they would bake. <laughs> And, and uh, here's the other thing is years ago, people said, well, why don't you, if a driver comes in and he's overheated, why don't you reach in and pour water, you know, on a pour, you know, get a big jug of ice water and pour. Well, guess what? You know, people don't think about that, but if you, if you pour ice water over a driver's, you know, of course they have the helmet on, so you pour it over the front of the uniform or the back of the uniform, that water will run down into the metal seat through the cushion into the metal seat, so it begins to boil, so it cooks the driver. Suddenly he comes in, he's got blisters all over his back oh, and man. his... Is you know is buttocks from from the, the boiling water. So you, there, there's a lot of things, you know. It's the old do no harm um, routine. So you got to be careful what you do and, and and how you do it. I mean the the situation you're describing. You know, you have this getting up to maybe 135 degrees, and I think about being in there for so long and the the G's that that these guys are pulling. What What's the most surprising or extreme thing that you've seen uh, happen to a driver, uh, a driver's body during a race? Well, I, I've seen I've seen drivers uh, carbon monoxide toxicity. I've seen drivers unable to you know unable to take their hands off the steering wheel when the race is over. They're in victory lane, and I'm leaning down to talk to them right before we come down for the live interview. And the driver is mumbling, and me being an ER doc, I know exactly what's happening. He's carbon monoxide, so we have 
we have emergency crews there to give them oxygen. And we've literally laid a driver down, and I put an oxygen mask on them and let them breathe while we're waiting to do the interview. Yeah, it's it's these guys are, and, and the the cardiovascular fitness you're required to have in a car is amazing. And and people people who don't know so these guys aren't athletes. Well, I can honestly tell you that I sat and watched the the, the the heavyweight boxing champion of the world a few weeks after he had defended his title come to a NASCAR track in Charlotte, and they put a, a seat, a passenger seat, in one of the race cars, and, and one of the top drivers of sport drove this champ around the track for half a dozen laps to see, you know, because he, he wanted to see what it was like. And they came down pit road, and this heavyweight boxing champion couldn't hold his head up. And he was solid muscle from the earlobes to the shoulders. Just yeah. one big triangle of muscle. But the G-force was pulling his head to the side. It was laid against his right shoulder as they were turning. So in this guy's, I mean, an athlete, absolutely. But uh, So it goes to show you these guys in the race car, they're like, they're like marathon runners who are in, in amazing cardiovascular shape. And to be able to think and communicate and perform, you know, physically and mentally for four hours on a race car. So, Doc, all right, just to set the record straight then, when it comes to going to the bathroom, most drivers don't ever have to go, and those that do, that's, uh, they're lucky they're wearing a dark uh, suit. Yeah, the few droplets that may come, may come out, will be inside the fire suit for a minute, or, you know, there's a wicking Nomex underwear, layered underwear, that will take care of that. So that underwear, is that something that we could, that, you know, just us working at a desk type guys could wear? You could, and that would save you from having to get up and go to the restroom from your desk. Yes. Well, I guess, I mean, that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. You could, now, uh, you, the, you might not have the burnt rubber and gasoline aromas to cover you up, so you might not get many visitors to your office, but still, uh, you could wear it at the office, yeah. Well, Doc, thank you so much for uh, helping us get this right. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. It's now the part of our show where we like to tell you about our sponsors. Before we get to that, we have a, a special guest. Uh, can you introduce yourself for us? Uh, my name is Will Hunvin, co-creator of the Tactax and their um, axe blades that mounts on uh, shotguns or rifles. In the event of the zombie apocalypse, you're eventually going to run out of ammo, and then you've got this. So, so the tact axe is an axe that works like a bayonet at the front of your gun. Yeah, you can mount it two directions. So you can either mount it pointing forward, and you can uh, slash and stab with it, or just mount it like a usual axe and swing it and just chop with it. Well, Will, this seems like the perfect time then to tell you about our sponsor, Tax Act. Not not tax acts, but tax act. Tax act helps people file their federal and state tax returns with no hidden fees. Does your tax acts have any hidden fees? It doesn't. Um, I mean, besides shipping. Tax act will guide you every step of the way. Start anywhere and finish anytime on your computer, tablet, or phone. Uh, what what does your tax acts guide you towards? Um, if your deal is getting the best deal, go to taxact.com slash how and get simple federal and state returns free. Taxact.com, you got this. Does the Tactax have a slogan? Yes. It is, um, 
I've got written right here the baddest zombie weapons on the planet because the zombies won't wait till you uh, reload. Will, thanks so much for telling us about your tactics. Awesome. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. You know what, though? Before we move on, what if the world is being taken over by zombies? This week, Donald Trump made a lot of news for skipping the Republican debate on on Thursday night. And uh, one thing that this meant is that all of the candidates who had been preparing to battle him uh, had basically been wasting all of that prep energy. This is what they do in the campaign. They have somebody on the campaign play the role of the different candidates. So uh, if I'm Jeb Bush, I bring in basically an actor to play Donald Trump so I can sort of practice what it's like to fight him. Rex Elsass is an advisor to Senator Rand Paul, and he is the man who plays Donald Trump for the Paul campaign. Well, I'd say that's a little bit of an overstatement. I participated in the first debate prep. I was one of several people who helped prepare him, and I played the role of of Donald Trump. And obviously, I did it so well that I wasn't invited back for another debate prep. (laughs) (laughs) I do think, you know, getting getting called to play Donald Trump, that is uh, kind of the role of a lifetime. It's definitely the role of a lifetime. But basically, you know, what, we, what I did was uh, watch videotapes uh, and, and read uh, uh, his most recent material and try to mimic as best uh, as I possibly could his persona and style. Debates are more about how do you get attention? How do you draw yourself and become distinguished from the rest of the crowd? Well, he's consistently done that, obviously, as an entertainer and an entrepreneur and somebody who is a, cu- a communicator. He understands how to, in fact, do that. And first of all and foremost is don't let the question that you're being asked get in the way of your answer. Can I? Can we hear a bit of uh, how what you sounded like when you were in the Donald Trump persona? I, I don't really think that uh, um, there is uh, an appropriate way probably to do that. I mean, it, it really, more than anything else, was a confidence. Donald Trump relays a confidence that America is responding to. And I think the best way to demonstrate that isn't necessarily with, with uh, some kind of pitch in your voice or some kind of playfulness. Uh, certainly, you can have fun doing that. But in a serious way to prepare someone to debate him, it's much more about how to engage, how to respond to his engagement, what not to do. And frankly, one of the things um, that as things have evolved that people have learned not to do is attack him. Attacking him is what he thrives upon and is what he enjoys um, most of all. And so uh, you don't feed somebody what they want to eat. I, I, I think that, that is, that's uh, an excellent point. How would Donald Trump put what you just said? Well, I don't think Donald Trump would give anybody advice as to how to debate himself. But I think what Donald Trump would say is, uh, would say is look, I'm just telling the truth. And what I say is uh, uh, terrific. And I notice things that are bold and bright and obvious. And I point them out to people. And the things that other people are afraid to say, I'm willing to say because the American people are thirsting to hear it. It's the best I can do for you. That was great. pretty good. <laughs> I just want to ask you one more thing about it. Did you, did you do anything to your appearance to, to try and uh, Trumpify yourself? No, no, I didn't wear any costumes. What is what does your hair look like day to day? Oh, my my, my don't my hair is not as high as his. 
Let me ask you this question, because uh, this is a, at this point, I mean, the first debate, there were like, I think, 30 people participating in the debate. <laughs> Something like that. Well, how do you prepare then when you have so many candidates? You're playing Trump. Did you have all the other candidates represented there in the debate prep? Yes, that's uh, it goes to show at that time during maybe uh, that's why it was easier to get invited to be a part of the first debate prep than the current debate preps because it's a narrower audience. Uh, the ex- the expendable ones left early. Uh, but simply, uh, yeah, and it's it's obviously mass chaos when you have that number of people. It's mass wow. chaos when you watch the debate stage. Let me ask you this question. Who was the more compelling candidate? The Jeb Bush that you had during your debate prep or Jeb Bush? <laughs> Well, first of all, I, I think people are pretty hard on Jeb Bush. He, he, he's a pretty, I think he's a f- very sincere, compelling personality. Um, he's had a difficult time, uh, in part, I think, because Donald Trump has been able to thumbprint him with this notion of, of some kind of lack of manliness or weakness. And uh, I, whether or not, I mean, I believe that's the furthest thing from the truth. I know what kind of governor he was in Florida. I know what kind of job he did. I haven't answered your question, obviously, which is proof that I practice what I preach. (laughs) (laughs) You're on message, Rex. (laughs) Well, Rex, thank you so much for talking about this and good luck. My best to you. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? So we got some advice for uh, debaters or at least debate prep teams. And we got some, uh, some some real talk from... From the world of NASCAR, yeah, I feel like if you are in a debate and you you have to go, just think what what would Daryl Waltrip do right now? Any 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 driver, any NASCAR driver, yeah. No one's going to judge you. Everyone's going to judge you, and you won't get elected. How to do everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Rabbi David Weisberg. Uh, Thank you, Rabbi, for all of your uh, service. The, the show has never felt holier. Send us your questions. You can get them to us at howto@npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. So this uh, episode is over, and this is normally the part where we tell you to go check out a different podcast. But we're not going to do that today. Instead, we're going to tell you something else. Uh, This uh, pertains to you. If you are an undiscovered musician looking for your big break. Which technically could be anybody. Maybe you haven't even figured that out about yourself yet. Or maybe you're uh, Adele in a costume pretending to be an undiscovered musician looking for your big break. You are also eligible. If that's the case, check out NPR Music's Tiny Desk Contest. You can send them a video of you playing an original song at a desk. And uh, you could win the chance to play at our famous tiny desk here at NPR. Enter by February 2nd at npr.org slash tiny desk contest.